Traders Point, how we doing? Hey, it is so good to be with you. Excited to dive into the message today. But before we get to that, we got to take a moment to pause and to celebrate what just happened here in this room on Friday night. We had our men's night. Come on. From best we can tell, there were 1,780 men on campus here. It was a powerful, powerful night, and just with worship and teaching. But then there was this moment at the end where there was this call to response, to call to come forward to ask for prayer, to pray this bold prayer that God would begin to transform us, to rebuild us into the men that he always intended us to be. So for all the men in the room at all the campuses, I hope you're wearing your wristband and you remember what God has called you to, all right? One more time for men's night. And then today we're um, finishing up our series, uh, The Foreigners. And what we've been doing in this series is really working through the book of First Peter. And what First Peter is, is it's a letter written to a group of churches that were scattered all throughout the Roman Empire. But one thing that they all had in common was that they were living in this tension, right? Where they had come to know Jesus, they had this new identity, that they were God's elect, God's chosen. But at the same time, they were living in a culture where they were kind of standing out. They didn't belong. They were exiles and they were foreigners. And so what Peter's doing here is talking to them about how to live in that tension of you are chosen, you are God's people, but you're also for a short time living here in this foreign land. And what we've said is, hey, that tension that was there for them is the same tension that Christ followers still today are living in. So how do we do that well? And today we're going to be in chapter 5. If you have a Bible, you can go ahead and flip or scroll there. Um, but I do, what's going to help us kind of set this thing up is in chapter 4, verse 17, kind of sets up all that we're going to talk about here in chapter 5. So take a look at this. It says, For the time has come for judgment, and it must begin with God's household. Anybody glad you woke up early, got here this morning? <laughs> what is he saying? He's saying, hey, the time has come, judgment is here, and it's starting with God's household, which is the church. That's, that's us. It's not looking out into the world. It's starting here and saying, hey, we got a clean house. We got to have our structure and everything under our roof set right. So a big part of the first part of chapter 5 is all about church leadership, okay? And now I just want to put this out here. Even if you don't believe in Jesus, even if you're not a follower of his, when we read through these principles and if you apply them to your life and your leadership, you will grow in leadership. It's that good. But at the same time, they can never truly be lived out without the spirit of God, right? Like the ways of God can never be lived out without the spirit of God to do it. Because we're going to read these things and you're like, that sounds good, but that sounds impossible. And you're exactly right. The whole point of this is that we would be dependent and humble ourselves so that God could do what only God can do, right? All right, we ready? All right, I like this. Uh, chapter 5, verse 1, take a look at this. It says, and now a word to you who are elders in the churches. Elders were... Um, 
They were the, the structure that was put in place to oversee the, the church. They were the over-shepherds. I too am an elder and a witness to the sufferings of Christ. And I too will share in his glory when he is revealed to the whole world. So I just want to uh, pause right here just for a second. When Peter says that I am an elder, that is true, but he's really humbling himself here. This would be like Michael Jordan meeting with a group of six-year-olds at the YMCA and being like, hey guys, you know what? I play basketball too. It's like, yeah, but it's, it's not the same, is it? Because Peter, he, he was an elder, but he was also an OG. This guy was one of the original 12 to follow Jesus. And even more than that, he was a part of the inner three. So he got the front row seat to all of it. He got to see the miracles, the teachings. He was chosen. An amazing life that Peter lived. But one thing about Peter was he had a little bit, some would say, of a problem with his pride. He kind of thought of a lot of himself. And sometimes it was great, sometimes it wasn't so great. One of these moments was towards the end of Jesus' life, and he tells God that he's wrong. I don't know much, but I know that's probably not the, the stance you want to take. Jesus tells him, he says, Peter, you're going to deny me. And Peter gets all ruffled up. He's like, no, 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 <laughs> you're wrong. I hear you, but I would never deny you. I would die with you before I would ever deny you. And that sounds so good. But just a few hours later, he actually would deny Jesus over and over and over again. And I just want to put this out there as a hope for anyone that, that has failed, that has fallen, that has said no to God and walked away. There's this beautiful picture that happens with Peter because Jesus does right after this, ends up getting arrested, crucified, he's murdered. But then we know that he resurrects. He comes back to, to not only a few people, but hundreds, maybe even a thousand people this guy comes back to. And one of them that he, that he finds is Peter. And he brings Peter in close to him. He has this really intimate conversation. Remember, this is the guy that just denied that he even knew who Jesus was. And over and over again, Jesus restores Peter. And he says, Peter, do you love me? And, and he says, yes, yes, yes. Yeah. I do. And then over again, do you love me? Do you love me? Three times he does it for the three denials. And in every response, when Peter says, yes, I do love you, my Lord, he, he responds with some version of this. He says, then take care of my sheep. Then take care of my sheep. Meaning, I know you've fallen, but listen, because of my grace, because of who I've called you to be, I'm going to give you this leadership the highest priority. I'm entrusting you to, to care for my church, my household. So what Peter's doing here is truly a mark of humility. For him to say that I am an elder, of course it's true, but he's humbling himself. He's meeting them right where they are, showing that his life truly has been changed. And this language of um, a shepherd and a flock or sheep, this is language that's used throughout the Bible. Uh, shepherds were signs of, of leaders and the flock or the sheep were the people. So with that context, what he's going to do now is say, hey, elders, this is what I'm calling you to. This is how you are going to oversee my church. This is how you are going to serve them and serve them well. Take a look at this. He says, as a fellow elder... I appeal to you, 
Care for the flock that God has entrusted to you. Watch over it willingly, not grudgingly, not for what you will get out of it, but because you are eager to serve God. Don't lord it over the people assigned to your care, but lead them by your own good example. It's good. I mean, that alone is better than 90, 100% of the leadership books you will buy this year. Everything that's in there. And what I wanted to see is these were specifically for the elders of the church. But when you read this list, there's nothing here that all Christ followers are not asked to live out as well. This is leadership for all of us, all followers of Jesus. So what we're going to do is just kind of look at this. What did he call them to do? How are they going to live this out? So let's take a look. He said the first thing was to care for the flock that God has entrusted to you. And then he goes back and forth with this, not like this, but, but instead do it like this. He says, not grudgingly, but lead willingly. And not for what you will get out of it, but lead because you are eager to serve God. And don't lord it over people. Lead them by your own good example. What, what I want to do is just kind of work through each one of these one by one and, and talk about what could that look like as a part of our leadership. We all have leadership. You've all been entrusted to, to lead some flock, okay? We all have influence, all right? So the first thing was that we are called to care for the flock that God has entrusted to you. That word, care. That doesn't find its way into a lot of leadership books and practices because it's not exactly efficient. It's not something that you can do quickly. You can't care for people at a distance. You can manage them at a distance, but you can only love them up close. And I'm telling you, if you want to just take steps in your leadership this week to change the climate and the atmosphere of your team, tell them that you care about them. Now, here's the big part of that. Um, you have to really mean it and you have to show them that you actually care. It's twofold. You can't just say, guys, I just want you to let you know I care about you and then operate like you could care less about who they are. But this level of leadership demands that we care for them. And here's why that's important. Because do you care about me is a question that authority alone will never answer. And me and you should be at the front of the line with every reason as to why we care about those that God has entrusted us to lead. I care about you. I care about your life. I care about your family. I care about more than what you produce. And then the second thing he said was, when you lead, when you care about these people, don't do it grudgingly. Lead willingly. Not grudgingly. You know what I mean? Not coerced. Not like you're just there because you have to be there. I don't know about you, but it really bothers me when I show up somewhere and I know they don't wanna be there, even though it's their job. And they act like I'm the problem for showing up. Eh? It really burns my biscuits, I'm gonna be honest with you. <laughs> and I really see it because of how long I worked in food. When I show up at a restaurant and you can tell they do not care that I'm here. Like I remember I showed up once to a drive-thru and I pull up, I roll down my window and I wait for a second and finally a voice comes through the intercom and all they said was, yeah. <laughs> like he just responded to me like we're in an argument and I called and bothered him. Yeah, what do you need? 
No, hey, would you like a, a number one? No, no, nothing. No, hey, welcome to Good Burger, home in the Good Burger. Can I take your order? Like, <laughs> nothing. He just said, yeah. But for us, he paints this picture of like, no, no, no. I want you to show up willingly. And the only way we show up willingly to our jobs, to the people that we have been entrusted to care for is with gratitude. It is spending time realizing the position that we have been given and the honor that we have received that someone would place us over another. And that could be with parenting, that could be with a leadership team, but we come in, here's the big picture that he's painting here, wholeheartedly. That I'm not here because I have to be, I'm here because I want to be. That I care about you and I'm willing to go above and beyond. You will not go the extra mile forced, but you will go the extra mile willingly. He says, yeah, lead just like that. And then he says, not for what you will get out of it. Lead because you are eager to serve God. Man, I don't know about you. Maybe you've experienced that kind of a leader where it was clear they were about themselves. You were a pawn. They were climbing this ladder. And a lot of times their leadership, it felt like it was their foot on your face as they pushed off to get to the next level. But you've also probably experienced a different kind of a leader where they weren't necessarily just focused on themselves, but they saw you, they cared for you. And instead of pushing you down to push themselves up, they were constantly serving you. They were constantly bending down and giving you a boost. They wanted to be a better leader for sure, but they wanted you to be a better leader as well. Like this is the kind of leadership that he's talking about. He says, don't, don't get in it for what you will get out of it. And what he's talking about here is, and maybe we can come to know something about this, but a lot of times back then people would take leadership positions for the money. And as they would do it for the money, it became really easy to become corrupt. It became really easy for it to be about you. And here's one of those things why when the Bible talks about the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. Because if your leadership is about money, if that is your motivation, pride and greed will allow you to do things to people and to treat them in a way that serving God never will. So when I come into this place, it is not because I'm here and I deserve a paycheck and I'm gonna use you and abuse you to get what I need. No, I'm coming in because I am eager to serve God. And to serve God, that means I have to love him and love you well. That I can't mistreat you. I have to treat you like the image bearer of God that you are. That when I'm here, I'm not just doing a job. I'm not even working for you. I'm working towards the Lord. It reminds me of that verse in Colossians 3, where he says, work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than people. We, listen, when we go into a place of business, when we show up to work tomorrow, they do not set the tone for how we love and how we serve and how we lead. We've already, given, we've already been given our marching orders. I'm here to love in a way because I'm gonna love you it's gonna be so transformation and so powerful that it actually has the ability to draw you closer to Jesus. That, the, that this will be the best place that you have ever worked because you will be cared about and loved for. That I am eager showing up every single day and I promise you it's not gonna be about me. I'm here to serve you. 
That's the kind of leadership that all of us followers of Jesus are called to live out day in and day out. And then he closes it out with this. He says, don't lord it over people. Lead them by your own good example. Once again, we probably know a leader, maybe you've been a leader like this, where you lead by title alone. It is very clear that you are the boss and you make sure everyone knows it. But here's the problem, why you can't lead from title alone. Because if there's a disconnect between how you lead, what you say, and how you live, and what you model, there will be a disconnect between you and those that you lead. And Jesus talked about this. He says, hey, the, the rulers of your time, those in authority, they flaunted over you. But with you, it's going to be different. You, you're not going to use your leadership to push them down and to prop yourself up. You're going to use your leadership to get down low and to become a servant to all. Do you remember that? You remember what Jesus said? He said, for even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. Here's the thing, what he's saying. You will be a prime example. You will be a living example of your leadership. It's not just that you teach about caring. It's not that you teach about humility. It's not that you teach about good character. You live it out. This is leadership, and this is the view that God says, hey, everyone that is a follower of me, this is the way I want you to live and operate. So just to give us a recap of all that Peter's talking about here. He said, care for the flock, do it willingly, lead because you're eager to serve God, lead them by your own good example. So what I want to ask you is, as you read through that list, and maybe you got convicted from one to the next, what leadership adjustments do you need to make? Maybe you're looking at your leadership and you're like, man, I started out, I really cared for my team, I was really there for them, but I've kind of moved away from that. Or maybe you used to show up every day, you were there 10 minutes early, you were willing and ready, but now it just feels like another job and you're just painstakingly making your way through it. Maybe it has become all about the money and the position and the power, and you've forgotten your true motivation, that you are there to serve them. And maybe you need to get back out there and to lead, not just teach, not just say good things, but to serve them right where they are. This is leadership. And I want to take a second here too because, like I said, this applies to all of us for sure, but it was written for elders, these over-shepherds of the church, they've always been a part of the church structure back then, 2,000 years ago, and today. And we have elders of this church, a group of men that lead unbelievably well. These are the ones, this is who Aaron, our lead pastor, that he reports to. And as I was studying this week and I was reading through these one by one, I've had the honor of knowing them for the past 12 years. And I was like, that is true of them, that they lead willingly. They lead because they're eager to serve, not because they will get out of what they will get out of it. They don't even get paid for the positions that they hold. They lead by a good example. Chances are you've served shoulder to shoulder with them in the parking lot, on safety, in kids ministry, and you had no idea that they were an elder of this church, but they are leading and serving all. So what I want to do right now is just take a moment to honor all of our elders. Can we celebrate them? 
And, and this next verse is for you, to all the elders. Take a look at this. You gonna see it, there we go. And when the great shepherd appears, you will receive a crown of never ending glory and honor. And I just wanna to say to the elders, I can't wait to see you in your crowns, right? One more time. And then, so now he's talking all about leadership, what he's calling elders to. And then now he's going to talk to everyone else, all of us. And look what he has for, for us. He says, in the same way, you who are younger must accept the authority of the elders. And all of you, dress yourselves in humility as you relate to one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So what he's saying is, he said, I, I led with this. I'm telling you what I'm calling the elders to, this high bar that I'm calling them to, that they're looking out for you even more than themselves. They're not in it for anything other than seeing you come to know Jesus more and better. But at the same time, we know it doesn't matter what we're submitting to. The idea of submitting is hard because of our pride. Oh, man, it's hard. So then he kind of throws this knockout blow there right after that. Just in case you were worried about, I don't know if I'm going to. Look what he says. He says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And this picture that he paints here is really powerful because, um, you know, being from the west side, I'm not too afraid of opposing a lot of people, you know. Don't let my stature fool you. But <laughs> the idea of opposing God is not where I want to be ever in life. But he says the proud, it's like you are in complete opposition to God. That he's moving this way and you're moving this way. And once again, not a smart man, but I'm pretty sure you're going to get run over. I'm pretty sure this isn't the life that you want. That you're going to constantly be stumbling and hitting a hard, solid wall. But he says, in return, you could humble yourselves. And then he says he gives grace. It's almost like instead of going against it, that we begin to turn and we begin to move in the same direction as God. That we go with his will and by his spirit. And there's this other side of life when we walk in humility other than being too proud to submit. Because what we've seen over and over again through this letter is when we submit, of course we submit to authority in all different kinds of forms. But at the end of the day, there's another level that we're submitting to an ultimate authority. Why we do this is because we're first and foremost submitting to God, our Father. And that's what he's going to say next. So take a look at this. This is who we're really submitting to. So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God. And at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. Give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. So he says, humble yourselves under the mighty power of God. I love that phrase. And really what it's coming from is actually the mighty hand of God is probably a better translation. A mighty hand of God. This, this is the language that was used in the Exodus when God rescued his people from Egypt and he brought them out and he made them his own people and he brought them, he formed them. And he said, hey, I brought them out under my mighty hand. And if you stay under my hand, you will have protection. You will be my people. This is what you're submitting to. But unless you are humble, you will not place yourself under God's mighty hand. And I love the reasons that he gives after that. He says, hey, place your hand, place yourself under the mighty hand of God. Why? 
Because when you're there, I, I want you to then cast all of your cares, all of your worries to him. And did you notice why? Come underneath my hand and cast all your worries onto me. Why? Because I'm all powerful. Because when you cast them upon me, I will answer them like a genie in a bottle. Because when you throw them to me, I will remove them. Because you won't have to experience any kind of pain or worry ever again. No. He says, cast them onto God because God cares about you. This may be the most profound thing that needs to be heard today. God cares about you. The reason he shows up, the reason he loves you is not because of how well you're doing. It's because he cares about you. And I just want that to just sit there for a second. And for you to wrestle with that, do you believe that? God cares about you, your life, your decisions, your family, your friends, your work. God cares about you. And he says, because I care so much, what I want you to do is bring me, as, like he's a father, I want you to bring me all of your worries. I want you to bring me all of your cares because I care for you. So I just want to ask you, who are you currently giving your worries and cares to? Maybe it's other people, which could not be, you know, too bad in and of itself, but it could be gossip from time to time. Are you giving your cares and your worries to social media? You're like, you know, nobody in my life cares, but I bet the masses do. They don't. Get serious here for a second. Maybe you're giving your cares and worries to an addiction. And maybe you wouldn't frame it like that. But that's what you're doing. You get to the end of a hard day at work with family. And you just know if I can get to this bottle. And I can cast my worries onto it. And it will fill up my cup. And then I have peace. And I have a numbness. And I have a way to escape from all of that. I'm casting my worries onto this, whether that's a bottle, a screen, you name it. I'm substituting God. I'm casting it onto this. Maybe you don't cast it or give it to anyone. You just stuff it down deeper and deeper and deeper. And you're walking around with all of that. What God's call here is to, to cast it onto him because he cares about you. And then he says, at the right time, I will bring you up. At the right time, I will handle this. And here's why, here's why that's important. We need to know what God really cares about. God cares about you for sure. But what does he care most about? Well, he cares about you being in a relationship with him. He cares about you finding a fortress and a refuge under his hand. But what he cares about is forming you into the image of his son, Jesus. What he cares about is your holiness. What he cares about is this word sanctification. That's what he cares about. And here's why that's a big deal. Because if you believe that what God cares most about is your financial security, your happiness, or really generally your life here at all, it will be hard for you to believe that God truly cares about you when you don't get any of those things. But if I believe that under his hand, which it is a powerful place to be, but when I humble myself there, he is also shaping me 
and molding me and forming me. I am no longer just my own. I am his subject. And I am submitting to him and allowing him and trusting him even when it doesn't feel right. But I think someone needs to hear this today. Just because I didn't get what I think or what I thought would be best doesn't mean I didn't get what was best for me. That God has a plan for my life. And if I can see that, that means that I can see a purpose for suffering. I can see a purpose for the pain. I can see a purpose for the fire. Because he's refining me and he's shaping me and nothing is wasted. And he is going to use every bit of this to form me into his image. Not because he creates it. He does not just create reasons for us to suffer. But he's able to use it for me and you for our betterment and even for a blessing for other people. And he's going to point out here in verse 8 of where all this suffering is coming from, a big part of it anyways, is because that there is a real enemy that we need to be aware of. Take a look at this, verse 8. He says, so stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. Remember, that your family of believers all over the world is going through the same kind of suffering you are. And I think it's important that we wrestle with this, this enemy that we have, the devil. Because I think a lot of us find ourselves in two different camps, right? Either we don't believe in the devil at all, he's not even a real thing, he has no power, he's not up to anything, which isn't true, he's a real enemy. Or we swing it to the other side and we live in complete fear believing that we are constantly being defeated by the devil. But when it comes to the devil, here's the, the, the stance we need to take, the belief that we need to have. See him, so we have to see him. Now, hear me when I say this. We see him, but we don't see him in everything. You ever talk to some people and they act like the devil is just on a 24 seven hour a day against them. Like, man, the devil is just really attacking me. It's like, really, what's going on? Man, I failed another test. <laughs> Did you study for it? No. We can't blame the devil for all of our bad decisions. I'm just going to say that. Um, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, I got fired. The devil is really after me. Why'd you get fired? Man, no call, no show. <laughs> Did the devil, like, kidnap you? I don't understand. Um, but see him, take him seriously. But here's this, stand firm against him. We do not fear the devil. We do not fear suffering. We don't go looking for him, but we're not afraid of it when it comes because we know whose hand we are under. And it says the devil walks around roaring, prowling. Why is he doing this? He is a counterfeit lion. And I think that's what Peter's getting to here, is he's connecting the roar to suffering in this sense. What happens when a lion roars? Like if you heard a lion roar right now, everybody would be running, right? No one's like, oh, what's that? <laughs> Except for Instagram and unfortunately a lot of white people. Um, but <laughs> this is why I stick to my notes. That was not in there. <laughs> I apologize to white people. Um, <laughs> I'm one of you, uh, but 
when a lion roars, people scatter, right? So he's saying that that's what the devil is up to, trying to make us suffer in a way that we will leave the hand of God because there's nothing that he can do to remove us from the hand of God, right? Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Nobody's coming in here. His only hope is if you leave here. And this is what suffering can do. It can get us, I'm experiencing something, I'm feeling something, and you begin to lose faith. Is God really who he said he is? Because I'm feeling a certain way. This is the thing with suffering. It will never bring you to a standstill. It is either gonna draw you closer into the hand of God or it is going to move you outside the hand of God. And that is when you will begin to truly experience pain. And a lot of it is just so, it's so much worse. But in our minds and in the moment, we feel like that's our best bet and that is the best work of the devil. But hear me, the devil is a cat in a costume in comparison to the true lion to the Lion of Judah, to Jesus Christ. The reason we don't fear is because we're rolling with a bigger cat. I'm not worried about this one, I got this one. But at the same time, for for anyone that maybe you feel like you've, you've fallen away, you've lost faith because of some suffering, some pain that you've endured, I want this, this next verse to just minister to you and I pray God would just hit you right in the heart. Take a look at this. It says, in his kindness, God called you to share in his eternal glory by means of Christ Jesus. So after you have suffered a little while, he will restore, support, and strengthen you. And he will place you on a firm foundation. All power to him forever. Amen. That's a promise. And he says, after you have suffered for a little while. Now, I wish I could say that that means if you're experiencing some suffering right now, hey, you give it 24 hours. You give it a season. You give it a year. Unfortunately, I think what he's talking about is for our whole lives. The only reason it's a short time because it's in comparison to all of eternity. He's saying, hey, you're going to live here as exiles. You're going to live here in this broken world. There's this enemy. There's this wild cat pretending to be a lion biting, doing everything he can because he knows he's already lost. And you're going to experience some horrible pain. I know that. But what I want you to know is that it won't last forever. That there will come a day where I truly will restore and support and strengthen you. And there will come a day where there, this is done. That there is a new heaven and a new earth where all is restored. And you and me will be together for all of eternity. Hang on. And that is what we need. Faith. This is what he's saying, that I I want you to hang in there. And why? Why can we trust? Why can we stand here underneath the mighty hand of God? Even when inside it says we should take things upon ourselves, we should move. I don't know if God really cares. I hope today has shown you that God does care and he proved it. That he is the great shepherd. Jesus called himself the good shepherd. Peter said, no, no, no. And this is the only time Jesus can go against, or Peter can go against him. But he says, you are the great shepherd. It's the only time this phrase is used in all of scripture. Why is he the great 
shepherd because he cares about those that have been entrusted to him. And he has proven how much he cares. He willingly came here. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, willingly came to earth, willingly wrapped himself in flesh and bones, willingly taught, willingly did miracles, willingly went to a cross for me and you. And on that cross, this spot where the devil had thought he had won, where he thought suffering had brought him to this ultimate place, he showed that even through this, God was orchestrating all of it. And as he went to this cross, he was murdered. And he died, putting death to death. Dying for our sin, dying for everything that separated us from God. And then he resurrected bringing an opportunity for us to have a relationship with him. Why did he do that? He didn't do that for himself. No. He willingly went. The joy that was set before him, that is why he went to the cross. Not what he would get out of it, but what me and you got out of it. And that is a relationship with him. And this is a relationship that you can have starting today. If that life of that leadership, of that life of being those chosen people, of being family of God, if that is stirring in your heart, we just want you to know that that is available to you. And I want to close here with the closing of this letter. He actually does a summary of, of why he wrote this in the first place. And I think there's something really powerful that all of us need to hear. Take a look at this. He says, I have written and sent this short letter to you with the help of Silas, whom I commend to you as a faithful brother. My purpose in writing is to encourage you and assure you that what you are experiencing, hear this, is truly part of God's grace for you. Stand firm in this grace. And I know for some of you that is hard to hear that what you are, have experienced, what you are experiencing, that this is somehow connected to God's grace. And this is where it takes faith to believe that he cares, to believe that he has a plan, to believe that nothing is wasted, that he's using every bit of it. You know, I talk to people all the time going through the hardest seasons of their life and they always say, I just don't know if God cares about me. Because of Jesus, we know that he cares. I might not be able to tell you why exactly all of the painful things have happened, but I can tell you with confidence that it's not because God doesn't care. Jesus proves that he cares so much for you. So what he says is say, stand firm in that grace and believe that God is with you. So what I wanna ask everyone to do at all of our campuses is to stand. And when you stand to your feet, know that you are standing in his grace. Know that God has brought you from a million different places to this moment right here, where your pain, your past is so painful, and maybe your future is gonna be really painful. But here in the present, today, tomorrow, we've been singing about this all day, that he is the same God, yesterday, today, and tomorrow, and for all of eternity. And it is his plan for your life. So what I want us to do right now before we worship is just to go to him in prayer. Praying for endurance, praying for power, praying for ultimately humility, to stand there and to have the faith believing 
that God's not done yet. Would you pray with us? God, we thank you so much for today. God, we thank you for your word and the hope that is constantly found in it. God, we thank you for the great shepherd, the one who willingly laid down his life, the one who wanted so much more for us that he was willing to do whatever it took. God, thank you for your mighty hands. And God, I pray that your spirit would produce the kind of humility in us that would keep us there. That God, that we wouldn't run from you, we wouldn't believe the lies of the devil, that we wouldn't leave your hand. But God, I pray that we would be a church anchored on you, built upon your name, built upon your blood and your body and your sacrifice. God, we pray right now that we would see you and and hold on to that hope that has led so many men and women through the years to do unthinkable, impossible things, to withstand and to endure and to make a difference, to truly be a part of your kingdom mission of bringing heaven to earth. This is not for the faint of hearted. And it's not even from human standards possible, but by your spirit it is. So Jesus, we cling to you. In your grace, we stand firm, believing the storms will come, the wind will blow, the rain will fall, the enemy will attack. But greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Greater is the lion, the lion of Judah. Greater is the line of Jesus than the devil. God, we stand here in this moment and we give all glory and honor and power to you. It's in your perfect name we pray. Amen.